Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening to Bleeding Daylight. You'll find links to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter accounts at bleedingdaylight.net. Please share episodes through social media so that your friends can hear Bleeding Daylight as well. There can sometimes be a tension between faith and mental illness. How do we deal with that tension and move towards healing? My guest today has walked that road. The stigma attached to mental illness has changed and softened over time as we've come to understand more about mental health. Unfortunately, though, for many who are living with mental health issues, the battle can still be a very difficult road. Katie Dale has not only been a caseworker at a mental health clinic, she has first-hand experience with bipolar disorder. Her book, But Deliver Me From Crazy, a memoir, lets us understand more about Katie's own experiences of serious mental illness and hospitalizations. She's an award-winning blogger and mental health advocate, and I'm so pleased that she's joining us on Bleeding Daylight today. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Rodney, it's so good to be here with you. Thank you for having me. I want to understand more about you than just the battles that you've faced, and we will touch on those, but tell me, who would I find at your home if I knocked on your door? You'd find my husband of going to be 13 years and my little baby girl. She's a year old, Kylie. So what does a a normal day look like for you there at home? Because I believe that you're traveling quite often and you're traveling with your husband's work. So we travel every few years. He's an officer in the U.S. Air Force. And so, yep, we do travel quite a bit and move around. A typical day is I wake up fairly early, about 5 a.m., and try to get uh, as many projects in that I can before my little girl wakes up. I have my quiet time with the Lord, like to sit in my desk in my office and journal, prayer journal, and get out my thoughts, clear my head, read my Bible. Chris wakes up and Kylie wakes up. We start our day. I watch her while he's at work and he works on the base here where we're at. And our day is Lately have been pretty regular, pretty uh, routine, I guess. We we get a nap in at about 9 a.m., <laughs> both her and I. Yeah, when she's napping, sometimes I also do work on my freelance work, advocacy, blogging, Etsy shop. I've got a lot of creative pursuits. Watching little Kylie is the joy of, of my life, and she keeps me on my toes. It does sound like a very full life. I want to jump back now. I want to find out, we're talking about mental disorders. When was it that that first became apparent in your life? I was 16 when my first episode on set began. I was actually going through quite a change in my life, which is typical of those kinds of disorders. When people have those disorders, end up getting them, it's late teens, early 20s, life change uh, may trigger it. And so that's what happened to me. I was going to public high school and had been in the public school system most all my life. 
I decided on kind of a whim, but maybe it was a God thing how it turned out because I wanted to go to this private school attached to our church where my mom taught music and my friends from church went and, you know, they were there. So I, I wanted to see if you know I couldn't get that biblical worldview, Christian you know, education. I'd ask my parents and see if it was possible and prayed about it. And I was like, okay, yeah, my junior year of high school, I decided to switch. So that set me back coming from a larger public school. It was a much smaller school, this private school. So I had a lot of people, it seemed, you know, that didn't know me peering in on me. And it it just appeared to me that every move I made was kind of available for everybody else to watch. It just seemed like with the smaller hallways and rooms and class sizes, it was like, okay, you know, the expectation was, well, I didn't know what the expectation was, but it definitely floored me when I had this change and, and I expected it to be a good thing. It wasn't always a good thing. I turned inward and began a clinical case of depression, uh, which actually turned out to be bipolar disorder. And we discovered I had some manic symptoms, euphoria and grandiose thinking, fast speech, flight of thoughts. And then it turned upward from there. And I ended up in the juvenile, local juvenile ward, psych ward for about three weeks. So needless to say, those classmates and friends at the private Christian school didn't really get a clear idea of who I was, nor did I really, because I was so lost in my mind. It's interesting, a lot of the things that you're mentioning there were real things, but it seems that they became exaggerated in your mind, such as that everyone could see what you were doing, the the smaller hallways, the the classroom, the the extra attention that you were getting. These were all real things, and yet your mind, because of this disorder that you had no control over, chose to use them as a trigger to start displaying in, in various ways. Is that often the case with mental health disorders? I think so. I think we have a skewed sense of reality and perceive through our senses, through what we see and observe in the physical realm, in the seen realm, you know, we perceive that as more than that, even especially with uh, with the psychotic features that I had, there was definitely a lot of imagination, which led to almost this warped sense of reality. And I'm a literal person as it is. So I took things from the Bible I was reading and you know, projected them into my personal life as if I was a character from the Bible or as if the crush I had in school was actually like King Solomon and I was one of his women. Partly, I, f- I feel like I'm an introvert and I didn't express myself and what I was thinking. So all these warped and skewed thoughts I was having, nobody knew I was having them. I mean, not until I came out about it years later, but it was the reality I was living in because of the disorder. A lot of symptoms with bipolar disorder can tend to flare up, like especially like hyper-religiosity. And being a Christian, that complicates things a little bit. And even not being a Christian, people who don't have a relationship with Christ 
are thinking they're Messiah or they're on a special mission from God. And it's very confusing. It's a, it's a world of confusion, unfortunately. There's a whole lot of things playing into this scenario. And I want to certainly touch on the, the faith issue because, as you say, that's a complicating issue. But even just on the face of it, as a 16-year-old, we all know that at around that age, we're trying to find out who we are. We're trying to build up friendships. We're trying to appear like, hey, we're just normal and we're, we're part of the crowd. How much of that played into what you were facing and and actually made it worse rather than helping you get through it? Well, it's great that you asked. I just had a conversation the other day about this. When I was 15 and I had been baptized and I was coming to this place like you're talking about where I'm looking for truth in my life. I'm looking for what can I stand on? And this was before I went into my first episode where I was seeking Jesus and reading about him in John 14, 6, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And I'm thinking, if that's true, I think I can test God in a way and see that this is really true. And I kind of reached out to him, like, I want you to prove yourself to me. And going through this time, I think that was kind of a way of God preparing me to face this skewed reality, because even in the mental illness, I was able to see God work in ways that I I don't think I otherwise would. He drew me to himself through this time. Now, during the depression, I was turning away from him for a short time. I thought, you know, with the attitude I had, being depressed and, and negative and wanting to end my life, I thought, you know what, God doesn't exist. He's not there for me. If enthusiasm, the word enthusiasm means God within, like the essence of God alive, And I have no enthusiasm for our life whatsoever. He probably doesn't live in me. So I decided give up on God, but that didn't last long. You know, like the hound of heaven, he just, you know, kept faithful and pursuing me. And, and then in my mania, mania, my manic phase, I especially saw because I had turned back to him, this upturn and it kind of coincided with the swing up into mania that I found God clearly reveal himself to me when I was looking for a sign. And I was sitting on the couch one Saturday morning in the in the dead of winter. Upstate New York, we have the, the some of the coldest and snowiest winters, but I was sitting there in my own coldness of heart and kind of just like, God, you've got to show me a sign. Yeah, I, I just can't believe in you anymore if if you don't show me something. So I was sitting on the couch in the living room and I looked over on the coffee table and there was a book open. It was Oswald Chambers, My Almost First Highest. And this was January, right? It was open to September 3rd, which is my birthday. I was like, well, that must be it. So that kind of pumped me up in a way. And, and it did almost exacerbate my symptoms because after that, I was psyched. I was pumped. I was telling my friends at youth group, I was like, guess what happened to me? I had that flair and that zeal to just go off the deep end almost in my faith. Shortly thereafter, we went to a youth group retreat. It was like the euphoria, the religiosity, it just kind of just exploded in my heart. (laughs) It was like, I'm so in love with you, Jesus, I was shouting. It's really not black and white in that kind of realm. It's, It's definitely a struggle when it gets to be pushing boundaries too. It became a 
unsafe place to be for me in the mania, especially. Um, I was having outbursts at school. The fear kicked in, paranoia, psychosis. And so I needed help and I needed to get that medical treatment to, to stabilize my mind. You're obviously needing the, the medical help, the expert help. But what about the help from those around you in your faith community? Because so often people of faith, people who are Christians, don't quite know how to deal with issues like this. Did you find at that time that it was difficult to find someone to come alongside and and help you through this as a Christian? Uh, Yes and no. There were some friends I had that I had made in a small group. They knew and noticed I was struggling, whether that was because I was struggling to fit in or because of my mental illness, I don't know if they knew. You know, they didn't know me before that year. So I think they came alongside and helped in as much practical ways as possible, reaching out to me as a friend, inviting me over for a sleepover or whatever. I guess adults in my life didn't know quite how to respond. I mean, even my parents as believers and as my parents, they didn't quite grasp what was going on. It took me to the primary care doctor, which was great, you know, to get that first step into we need treatment. But to realize what the mental illness does, because the brain is the seat of both the spiritual that we go through and and the emotional and mental, you know, and they're two different facets that because the brain is our control center where we do access, you know, pray and, and have that spiritual connection with the Lord. And we do have the emotional part. I feel like there's a lot of confusion that we need to clarify in churches that just because I may be a spiritual preacher and emotional preacher, it doesn't mean the source is the same. When one is broken, the other might not be. And what did treatment look like for you at that stage? How were people helping you along that journey, the the medical professionals that you were seeing? So when I went to see a Christian psychiatrist who was prescribing the medication, I think primarily we visited her because she was a Christian psychiatrist. But Christian or not, she she treated me with the, the prescribed medication of a mood stabilizer. And unfortunately, after a week or two on that, I had noticed severe, I thought, weight gain stretch marks I was noticing. And so she, upon request, my request and my parents' request, she switched the medicine like cold turkey. And you don't do that with psych meds. There's a definite like gradual process with most psych meds that you would want to gradually wean off the first one or gradually introduce the other one. But we went cold turkey and switched them up. So that hurt me because I went into a state of psychosis and heard voices shortly thereafter. I feel like that instance was a mistake. However, we did go back to her after that. And she said, go to the ER, the local ER at this hospital. Once I was admitted, the staff there were wonderful. I met a woman, her name is Holly. She was just an angel. She was there at my side, monitoring me. My first probably two or three days there because I spent three weeks there. And she was very accessible, listened to my fears and my concerns and my skewed thoughts. And, but she was there to comfort me. I I feel like, and she was a Christian. She had adopted a bunch of kids in her personal life. And she 
had her own kids too. And I was just amazed by the person she was. She was such a light in that place because it was very hard to go through when I'd been sheltered most of my life anyway. And going into this strange new place was just a shock. So having a person like Holly was such a, a grace and a godsend. Um, the other staff on on hand there were, were great too. They were concerned and caring and compassionate. That was the best place for me to be at the time. And they did give me the care that I needed. I was given different trial medicines, and then I found a combination that worked. I find it interesting that you're talking there about Holly and as a Christian in that sort of setting who's able to come alongside and help. So often we talk about people who are working in ministry and we're talking about them working full-time for a church or, or whatever it might be, and yet so often God chooses to use us when we're available to help out in the situation that we're in. Was she part of the inspiration for you to further along the track start to, to help others through their own battles? I would like to think so because she left such an impact on me, an impression on me that I was like in awe of her, you know, and I still to this day think of her. And so, yeah, I, I think she definitely left an impression on me to help others with these challenges. Yeah. As this battle went on, you're getting treatment, but obviously getting older, starting to mix with various people. And somewhere along that line, you you met your husband. How did that go? Was that something that you needed to broach fairly early in the, the conversation with him once you started to build a relationship to say, look, there's something you need to know? Or was he part of that group that that already knew some of those things? So we met when I was between my junior and senior year of college online for that matter. And, and, uh, so yeah, as soon as I met him, it was a whirlwind. So I did tell him up front, I was like, guess what? You know, <laughs> if you get into a relationship with me, you might want to know that I have bipolar disorder. He was good. He looked up a bunch of books on it and bought some books for us to read through together. And, and that was helpful, but he didn't see because I was stable at the time and on my medicine and had gone through therapy for years that I, I had few symptoms at that time after I was hospitalized that junior year of high school. And then upon meeting my husband and for the next three years, I would be stable, relatively stable and high functioning. And I know that there was an incident around that three year mark. So you'd been married to him. You're managing this. He's wanting to, to come alongside the journey with you. But then what happened? We're still in our newlywed period and, we just bought a new house off base and our first time home buyers. And I was excited. I also happened to be listening to a televangelist at the time. He was a faith word preacher. He really inspired me, I feel, to go off my medicine. He said, you have the faith within you to heal yourself. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have it within you to move those mountains to heal yourself. You need, you know, to step out and, and take that leap of faith. And I took that leap of faith. I went off my medicine. That was really the triggering catalytic event that I attribute my inspiration to. But also I had it in my mind that since I had been to a healing service the year I had been hospitalized that summer after I was prayed over and you know, believed that Jesus was had healed me to a degree, you know, whatever that manifested like, I felt like, you know, if I 
go off my medicine and he's healed me. And I, I took that as a, another reason why I should go off my meds. I thought, you know, I'm going to prove this. I'm going to prove God. I did it. And I ended up in the hospital again. Uh, my husband was away for a month in Mongolia. He said, I don't want you going off the meds until I come back. If we, if we're going to do that. And I said, okay. So I took that as I can start weaning off the meds. And when he comes back, I can be completely off the meds. And that's the way my mind worked at that time. So when he came back from his month-long trip, I was in Desiree, Desiree and he was <laughs> he was lost too. He didn't know what to do. After a, about a few weeks of chaos, I finally said, you know, we got we to gotta get me to the hospital. Uh, I had a, a meltdown and a breakdown at home. And we were trying to go to like Walmart at 3 a.m., trying to find something to help calm my mind, some kind of like herbal me medicinal supplement. But yeah, I knew that I needed to be in the hospital. That was the only place I could get better. I had the insight somehow, because a lot of people with these disorders don't have insight into their mental illness. They don't realize they have it. But I think by the grace of God, he allowed me to have that wherewithal and be like, you know what? I need to get back there. I, that's where I need to go. I've heard from a number of people who have gone through their own mental health issues that the medication starts to make them feel like everything's fine, which it's meant to do, but mm -hmm. that can be a, a sort of a, a bit of a curse as well because they feel so fine that they believe, well, I'm so good now, I don't need my medication. So as well as that sense that God has supernaturally healed me, was there a part of that there as well that the medication had got you to a place where you're thinking, I'm I'm fine now. Oh, that's that's a great point. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening too. And the other side of it was, yeah, I felt good enough. I'm doing well. I've been fine for five years or whatever it was. And I'm fine. I, I can do this. I can take care of myself because, well, <laughs> for some reason, it doesn't occur to me. It, it didn't occur to me. It doesn't occur to a lot of us that like we're doing well because of the medicine. Yeah, exactly, Rodney, yeah. Where do you stand then, knowing that we serve a supernatural God who is able to heal instantly and completely, and yet sometimes he chooses to to use medical science to mm -hmm. be able to bring around that that healing or, or that treatment? Where do you hold them in tension? What, what is the, the situation for you in thinking, well, why hasn't God healed me supernaturally like that? I feel like that is the tension and it's, it's not a quite tension for me, but at one point it was, I've come to peace and to terms with the fact because it was such a hard road after I went off my medicine at 24 that I was like, no, I'm not testing God there no more. <laughs> like he's told me in so many ways that I need to stay on my medicine because that's what made me better. And that's how I recovered was because I took the medicine, got back on it. And yeah, he does still heal supernaturally. I don't doubt that. That's completely within his ability. Even the Bible, when Paul was telling uh, Timothy to take a little wine for your, your stomach, it's like, it, it just because it doesn't say Jesus gave people or Luke gave people, you know, medicine for their mental health does not mean God does not have a place for that at all. It's definitely, it, it's along those lines where, you know, we've got to 
thank God for the grace of medicine and science and pharmaceuticals, because if he didn't heal me the, the way I thought he would going off the medicine, then I'm glad he healed me going on the medicine because now I can function and I'm not cured, but I can definitely function and live life and lead a life that's full. That's very full in him, but also in my day-to-day activities and how I I'm able to function. That's how I kind of reconcile those two things. And you mentioned that you have an awareness or an insight into your own mental health. Is that what helps you to be able to come alongside others and help them through things like your blog, through the book, through the other things that you do? Yeah, I think being able to realize, wow, I was in this mindset and this is why, and now I'm not in that mindset. And I think that gives me the ability to help people. I say there's about half of us who have the mental illness that, or that kind of diagnosis with a mood disorder, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, schizoaffective, those serious mental illnesses that will not have that insight. It's a struggle to get them to stay on medicine or to have that compliance. But for those who love them and are taking care of them, I hope to give them help to approach their loved ones who are struggling with it because it is a battle of the mind. And when your mind doesn't comply, nothing else falls along, follows in suit. Um, Having learned that I need to stay on my medicine, I hope other people, you know, that's my main goal is that other people would realize the medicine is there to help them and not to confuse or to muddle things. It is a trial and error process. You know, every medicine is not going to be the same for everybody, but it's possible there's, there's different treatments too. There's ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. There's talk therapy, which goes hand in hand with the medicine a lot of times. But you got to try all the all the doors that are there. Tell me about the, the blogging that you do at Bipolar Brave. Who are you reaching through that? And what has been the response? For a long time, it was BipolarBrave.com. And now it's KDRDale.com. But I do have a Bipolar Brave blog where I focus on my mental health advocacy. And I think through that, it's opened up doors for me to share my message. I'm reaching people in many different countries that they get back to me, they'll email me or they'll find me on Instagram. And they're just like, you know, either like I have a question about my loved one, they're going through something similar. And then I can give them advice personally, like, here's what I've done in my own life. And here's what might work for you. I do just, you know, lead with a disclaimer, like I'm not a mental health professional. I've been a mental health professional in my past career, but I'm not at the time clinical, like certified provider, but I can offer you what I've learned. I uh, hope that helps them with what they're going through because a lot of the questions are spiritual versus medical. And so I hope to offer that clarity to them. And just hearing you speak, it's obvious that you will be directing them to the the best medical help that they can get, but also having someone mm-hmm. who's experienced life in that way, walking alongside them, it must be an incredible relief for so many people. That's my hope. I want people to get to the place where they realize, and don't make the mistake I did, but realize that there is a place for medicine and therapy and that it's a good place to be when you find that niche. And you know, not everybody will find the exact dosage maybe that they need to like be relieved of all the symptoms and all the side effects of the medicine. But there is hope there that, you know, as we work through our issues, 
and therapy and eradicate, you know, some false cognitive dissonance and false thinking that with the hope we have in Christ and through the word of God, that we come to a place of truth, that we come to a place of understanding that God has given us these, these tools and this grace to be able to live our lives fully in him. When it comes to your book, when you title it something like, But Deliver Me From Crazy, it's obvious that you're using humor in there as well. How much of a coping mechanism has that been for you to be able to see the lighter side of what you're facing? You know, I'm a very serious person, although I like to laugh at myself, you know, and I, I like to, you know, I need to stay light on stuff. It's been hard, actually, to incorporate humor. Like, you'll see there's some dry humor in my book in different spots that you can, like, chuckle about. There's just different scenes in, in the memoir that you're like, oh, goodness. You know, like, and it's kind of funny to, to read. But, yeah, I'm a very serious person overall, so I've struggled with that. But I feel like I also have a good attitude and positive outlook. And uh, people in my life keep me keep me laughing my family and friends. Laughter is the best medicine because it helps us lighten up and not be so serious. It is hard though to make jokes about mental illness, I will say. (laughs) It's kind of a sensitive sore spot for a lot of us. And it's like, how do you joke about that? I haven't found quite the rhythm on that yet. What was it that caused you to say, I really need to write this down. I, I really need to share my experiences in the form of a book with others. I have always been a creative person and writing has always come naturally to me. So partly the way I'm wired, partly the way I was inspired by, I guess, reading other memoirs and on mental illness and then realizing I haven't read one on a person like me going through this with the faith of the same faith and, you know, the, the same challenges exactly. So I was like, I haven't heard, heard or read something like it. I think that there's a place for it in the marketplace. And I want people to know what it's like and to understand what it's like to go through something like this. So they have more compassion and so they can understand their loved ones and so that their loved ones can relate and realize they're not alone. And what's been the response to the book so far? Uh, I feel like it's been positive overall. It is a darker, almost, tone to the book. You know, it's a lot of rough stuff I'm going through, and it occurs to me that it might be hard for some people to read, but overall, it's been good. I've really built that platform because, you know, I have that book now, and it's published. It's out there, and I can refer people to it, like uh, like the tool it is, and, and help them understand what it's like. And I suppose that that darker tone, the the reality of what you've faced is one of the things that people would be able to connect with. If it was just glossing over the things that you've gone through, then people who are going through those dark times that you've experienced wouldn't be able to relate. So I -hmm. imagine it is something that will cause that connection as people read it. Has that been the experience of, of those that have spoken to you about reading the book? Yes, yes. There was a, uh, quite a few people with the same diagnosis that reached out to me and they're like, hey, I know exactly what you're going through in this. I'm like, oh, well, that's good because I hope we could relate to, you know, we could relate to each other. Humanity that we all share, it's one in 20 about the figure is that, that suffer from a serious mental illness. 
but it's not like every day you, you meet somebody walking down the street and you realize you both have a serious mental illness. You, you just don't get to see that in the day to day usually, but having a book out there, you get to, to reach out to people and educate them and then see that they've been through quite similar things. And I suppose it's that, oh, you too type moments that that really bring us clarity oftentimes when we realize that someone else is going through something. And what I love about the book is that it's an opportunity for people who are going through their own mental health battles uh, and being able to connect with you in that way, but also those who are their loved ones who are able to get a better understanding of that. But I imagine it would also be helpful for Christian pastors in in their work with people within their congregation or people that come to them that have a mental illness to get an understanding of mental illness alongside faith. Oh, yeah, definitely. I believe uh, with the feedback I've gotten from pastors, I feel like they resonate. We, we need other pastors to read this. Like it's eye-opening. It's giving them a firsthand account, you know, of what somebody's going through with this kind of illness. And to understand that is, especially with the spiritual components, I feel like is not really common. I, I mean, I'm a notebook book, open book myself. So I feel like if anybody were to ask me personally, I would share that and stress that if there is pastors wondering, but you know, I, I feel like the book gives you a good idea of what it's like from there. I encourage you at the end of the book, here's how to, to reach out for help. Here's how the medicine and the therapy can help. And, and uh, there's resources at the end there too. Katie, if people are wanting to get hold of the book to, to read some of your blog posts, where's the easiest place for people to find you? At katierdale.com and Amazon is selling the book. So you just type in the search bar on Amazon, but deliver me from crazy and it should pop up. And I'll put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find the book and find your website very easily. But Katie, I want to say thank you for being so open and honest about what you face, but also the way that you're turning that into help others and to share your faith and to share your journey with them. So thank you so much for your time on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you, Rodney, for having me. It's been great. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.